Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you are doing really, really well, and the Christmas season so far has been uh, a wonderful one. If you're at home, thanks for checking in online with us. Uh, we're grateful. We're jumping into the second part of the series we started last week called The Messiah is Coming, and we thought that uh, the name itself kind of reflects what we were hoping to do as we jump into this Christmas season, because Christmas is coming, uh, as we heard earlier in just less than two weeks, if you don't have your gift yet. Here we go. Um, but it's coming, it's coming. And so we thought as Christmas is coming, um, we thought we'd take some time to look at what some people have said uh, in, the, in the, the, the ancient Jewish time because there was this reality in the ancient Jewish culture that believed that a Messiah was coming. And for hundreds of years, thousands of years in some cases, people would write down these prophecies, these words, these, these scriptures, these, these ideas that pointed to this coming Messiah. In fact, uh, as you look at the whole of the ancient Jewish kind of time and culture, so much was written. It, it was such a foundational idea. Long before Jesus ever came, this foundational idea that this Messiah was coming, and the Messiah would be a king in the line of their most revered and honored and loved king, David. He would be a king in his line, but he would not only be a king, he'd be a ruler, he'd be a uh, savior, a redeemer, and that's what they looked forward to. And so the reality is, if you go and look at the ancient Jewish scriptures, the ancient Jewish writings, their historians, their kings, their poets, their songwriters, their lawmakers, all these people wrote down, all these sort of culturally um, influences, the cultural influences of the time, they wrote down the reality that this Messiah was coming. And Christians believe that that Messiah that they wrote about for hundreds and sometimes thousands of years was Jesus, who was born on the first Christmas. And Jesus, when he came, and when people asked him point blank, are you the Messiah that, that's supposed to be coming? He looked at them and he said, yes, yes, I am. But not only did he claim that, that, his followers, as they watched what happened, they wrote down going, oh my gosh, he's doing this thing that the Messiah was supposed to do. He's doing this thing, and that has happened around what happened with the Messiah, things that he couldn't control, things that couldn't happen. It happened because Jesus somehow fulfilled over 300 of these prophecies that were written hundreds of years, and we know they were written hundreds of years before, because I don't know, I'm a bit of a skeptic sometimes, and I wonder, you know, this has happened so long ago, could someone not have just sort of seen what happened and then pretended to write prophecies that came from the past? We know that didn't happen because the entire Jewish scriptures were all collected into a, a big sort of bunch of writings that were translated into Greek nearly 300 years before Jesus. So we have all these writings in, on paper, on papyrus, like literally we have that, that long before Jesus came. And when Jesus came, he fulfilled those different prophecies. It's amazing. So what we thought we'd do as Christmas is coming, let's go look back at what these people wrote about the coming Messiah, this Messiah who's coming, and what he would be like and who he was, and what's uncanny, it's crazy as you read these things and you go, oh my gosh, that's exactly what Jesus did. And you look at that and you go, wow, how on earth could that happen? Perhaps God was actually doing something. It's really, really crazy. And the other thing that happens is, as you read this, you kind of discover and see that, that we can learn some stuff from what these guys wrote before Jesus came about who he is, how he would interact with people, what he would do. So that's what we thought we'd do. We'd go look at what they wrote, learn a little bit about who Jesus is and who this Messiah would be from their writing. So today, we're gonna go back sort of 700 years before Jesus was born, 
and look at something that a guy by the name of Micah wrote down back then as he described Jesus. And it was so clearly connected with this coming Messiah with Jesus that Matthew, when he wrote his eyewitness account of Jesus, he included what Micah said around the events of Jesus' birth. So we're gonna start this morning by looking at something that Matthew wrote um, about Jesus' birth, and then he quotes a part of what Micah wrote. Okay, so Matthew chapter two, verse one, we dive into a little bit of this Christmas story the events around Jesus' birth. Matthew 2 verse 1 says this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, I love that in order to kind of set the timeline, Matthew includes historical realities from the world around him. He says King Herod was reigning over Israel, over Jerusalem. And um, when I read that kind of stuff, I enjoy going to kind of non-Christian, non-biblical, secular um, scholars and and to try and discover what, who was King Herod? Because if the Bible says that about him, was that true? Did, who was he? When did he rule? When did he do all this stuff? So I went and looked up, and the easiest source I found was the Britannica Encyclopedia, and this is what they say about King Herod. It says this, he was a Roman-appointed king of Judea from 37 to 4 BCE who built many fortresses, aqueducts, theaters, and other public buildings and generally raised the prosperity of his land, but who also was at the center of political and family intrigues in his later years. So that's the history, non-Christian history of who King Herod was. And what's interesting, he did build a bunch of these things, and one of the things he actually built was the temple in Jerusalem. And if you go to Jerusalem now, you can still see part of the temple that he built, the West Wall, the Wailing Wall, where people go and pray. Herod built that which is kind of crazy and cool to know that he built that before Jesus came and though his hands were kind of did that. That's who Herod was. Another thing about Herod, it says that he was later, in later life, he was the center of political and family intrigues. That's a really nice way of saying what they say later in the article and that's this. Eventually, he was so paranoid of losing his throne that he held onto it and he even, I believe this is correct, he murdered a bunch of people. I believe he murdered his own wife and two of his sons to hold on to power. He was a very paranoid king later in his life, which is intriguing because you read some of the things he did in the Christmas story and it kind of makes sense, especially for where we're going. So that's Herod. Um, then, it, then Matthew says that Magi came from the east. Now, what on earth are Magi? You know, we, if you know the Christmas story and the song, we three kings of Orient are, right? No, we won't go further than that. <laughs> okay. Um, Magi, you know, I also looked up, you know, just historically, who were these guys? And what I found was there's this Greek historian who lived about 450 years before Christ, and he wrote down, and in his writings, he wrote about these Magi, and he describes them as a tribe of Medes. The Medes were a group of people, a nation who lived in ancient Iran, okay? So that's with the Medes, and they had a priestly function in the Persian Empire. So that's who the Magi were. Edmund's Bible Dictionary adds that apparently the Magi were non-Jewish religious astrologers who from astronomical observations inferred the birth of a great Jewish king. So that's who the Magi were. And Matthew tells us that Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now you come to Jerusalem where the reigning king is super paranoid and killing people in his family to hold on to his throne and you say this. Verse two, the Magi asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? That's probably a problem. (laughs) 
We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Not you, him. <laughs> Look what Herod says. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. <laughs> History tells us more about the disturbed. And Matthew goes on to say how later when the Magi did not come and tell him where he was, but he, he had discovered that he was in Bethlehem, that he killed all the kids in Bethlehem to try and kill Jesus. It makes sense when you read that in Matthew and when you know the history of Herod. Anyway, he says he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with them. And then look what happened. And this is fascinating to me. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Now, why would a Roman appointed king know about the Messiah? Well, I believe because he was in Jerusalem and the dominant theme in the Jewish culture in ancient Israel was the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. So much was written about the Messiah that even a Roman appointed king knew about a Messiah that was coming. And so he asked these chief priests where the Messiah was to be born. And look how quickly they answered. They knew exactly. They say, in Bethlehem, in Judea, of course. Like, how do you know that? <laughs> how do you know this stuff? That this hadn't happened, and yet so much was written in the Jewish culture that they knew details like that the Messiah was supposed to come from Bethlehem. And then they, they, they said, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And this is where they quote Micah, who wrote 700 years before. They said this, verse six, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So it is very clear how they knew. They, they quoted this prophet from 700 years before that said that he would be ruler, that he would come from Bethlehem. Like this, they knew. And so when the Magi came, Herod was like, where is the Messiah gonna be born? He knows that the Messiah is coming. How is this gonna work in Bethlehem? But what's interesting to me is that Herod, and the chief priests of the time were so stuck on that one part of Micah's prophecy that he would come from Bethlehem that I think they missed a more important part of what Micah actually said. Because Micah didn't just say where he would come from, it also said who he would be, what he would do, and how he would relate to people. And I think if Herod and the chief priests of the time were to focus not just on the Bethlehem part, but the other parts of what Micah said, I wonder if they would have responded differently to Jesus. So what I wanna do now is I wanna kinda of look and see what did Micah say about this Messiah who was coming? What did he say about who he would be and how he would relate? And we're gonna do that by jumping into Micah's writing. And, and as you'll see, the chief priest had and kind of quoted different parts of it, not the whole thing. And we're gonna read the important parts and kind of elaborate and, and expand on what these chief priests quoted. So if you wanna turn, if you have a Bible, Micah chapter five, verse two, we'll put it on the screen as well. Micah chapter five, verse two, and again, this was written like 700 years before Jesus. I'm gonna read through it and then we'll come back and talk about the different parts. But he says this, verse two, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, what is Ephrathah? Well, this was written 700 years before, and that's an ancient name of Bethlehem or the region around Bethlehem. So he says, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Verse four, he says, he will stand and shepherd his flock, in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. 
for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth. So I think there's some things in here that actually tell us who this Messiah would be, how he would interact, what he would do, not just where he comes from. And that's what I wanna look at. First thing I wanna, I wanna kinda highlight is what Micah said when he said, this ruler is gonna come from Bethlehem and, and his origins are from of old, from ancient times. Like what on earth does that mean? Like, when you were born, no one said that about you. <laughs> when I was born, it was just like, he's born. When any king in history was born, yes, they had a lineage, and so in some senses, they had origins from of old. But this is different. This is saying something more than just another king who was the son of a father and the son of another king and the son of another. No, this is saying his origins are from of old. He's saying he's not just born in the way that everybody's born, and that's weird to talk about a human that way who's from ancient times. No, he's saying that there's something eternal, there's something pre-existing about this Messiah who would come, and that doesn't make any sense if he's just human. But if he's more than human, if he's God, if he's God's son, that he existed before, then that would kind of make sense. And I think that's what Micah is saying here, that the Messiah, and, and again, if Herod or the chief priests saw that, they probably would have dealt with it differently. That his origins are from of old, from ancient times, that the Messiah would somehow be God in the flesh. How does that work? But as you keep reading Christian literature, as you keep reading what the early writers of Christianity wrote, like Paul, when he, when he wrote this letter to, Coloss, to, to the group of Christians living in Colossus, um, he describes this idea so beautifully. Jesus talks about this as well. We can't go to all the verses, but I wanna look at the, the most clear depiction of what I think that means. In Colossians chapter one, verse 15, this is what Paul writes. He said, Christ, who is the Messiah, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. <laughs> Listen to this clarity. He existed before anything else was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. And then he says it again. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. And when I read something like that, I go, what if that's true? <laughs> What if that's who the Messiah would be and what if that's who Christ is? That he is before all things. He's above all things. He knows all things. What if that's him? Like, if, if that's true, I wanna know him. <laughs> and I want him in my life. Just, man, if that's true. But, but that's the first thing that Micah says this Messiah would be. He would be from of old, from ancient times. He will have pre-existed, and that's exactly what, what Christians say of Jesus, that that's who he is, and that's what Jesus said of himself when he talked about himself as well. It's exactly what he said, but that's not all that Micah said. There are a couple other things that I wanna point to, and this is fascinating because Micah highlights two things that I think in the normal world feel mutually exclusive, feel like they can't really go together, and yet Micah says this is who the Messiah will be. He says in Micah chapter five, verse two, and then we'll jump to four, he says, he will be one who will be ruler over Israel. So he will be a ruler over Israel, and he will stand and shepherd his flock. On the one side, he's a ruler. On the other side, he's a shepherd. 
Usually two things that don't really go together, especially if you look at the, the uh, definition of what is a ruler and what is uh, a shepherd. To rule means this, to exercise ultimate power and authority over an area and its people. To exercise ultimate power and authority. A ruler provides a set of explicit and or understood regulations or principles governing conduct within a particular activity or sphere. That's what a ruler does. He governs, he gives rules, he says these are the requirements, he's above, he's all power, all authority over something. That's what a ruler does. A shepherd, on the other hand, is someone who tends to and cares for. A shepherd guides or directs a particular, in a particular direction. And so there's, on the one side, he's this ruler. On the other side, he's a shepherd. And Micah says that he will be both. He brings these two massive ideas together. One who rules in his ultimate power and authority. And, and, and in this sense, this makes him God from of old, from ancient times. One who is super strong full of truth and righteousness and holiness, one who judges justly, that's what a ruler does, one who knows how life works and what is right and what is good and one who calls us to follow in that sense, one who calls us to live and do that. That's what a ruler does. But along with that, Micah tells us that, that, and I love that this is expressed in the Old Testament, he tells us, yes, along with this reality that he's one who rules, he's also one who shepherds who loves those he leads and cares for them and tends to them and guides them. One who understands that sheep are wayward sometimes, that sheep sometimes stink, <laughs> that sheep sometimes do dumb things and they go down the wrong road, that sheep sometimes struggle to obey a command. A sheep kinda goes bad, goes its own way. A shepherd knows that and understands that, and a shepherd knows that those sheep need the help of a shepherd. They actually need the shepherd's presence for them to be all that they can be and to live a secure life. They need care, they need guidance, and a shepherd knows that. They need care and guidance and help. A ruler just goes, here's what you need to do. These are the rules. This is what righteousness requires. This is what justice means. A shepherd says, I know you can't live that properly and I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna come and care and help. And Micah tells us that the Messiah will be a ruler who shepherds. And I think it's a beautiful picture. And the reason I think it's such a beautiful picture is because I know me. And I believe it's true for all of us I love this because I think we need both of those. We need a righteous ruler, and we need a loving shepherd. You see, I think in our religious world right now, um, most of the time, one of these is emphasized over another. Sometimes the ruler side of God is emphasized, and people preach the law and righteousness and requirements and his truth and his justice and his judgment, and they preach that. And if he's God, that's surely that's who he is, right? He knows, and he's perfect, and he's holy, and he's just, and we need to surrender because if he's God, that's what he does. And he's a ruler. We need to submit to him and do what he says. That's what a ruler is, and that's what a ruler requires. And when we emphasize only that side, I think what happens sometimes is when that's the only thing that's preached about God or presented about God. That usually leads to either one of these two things, either pride, usually a hypocritical pride or an arrogant pride that says, 
I'm awesome because I can keep the rules that you can't. And usually when someone says that, they're just telling you the rules they can keep. Because the rules they can't keep, they're not going to tell you about them. So there's this arrogant, hypocritical pride that portrays, this is where I'm good and why aren't you more like me? When God's only presented as a ruler. Look at the rules. I'll find the ones I can keep and show those. Look at the rules. I'm awesome because I'm better than you. It creates this pride and this arrogance, usually hypocritical. Or when God's only presented as a righteous ruler, not only sometimes it leads to that pride, but it also leads to despair. For those of us who admit that we can't live up to those rules. I mean, we can't even live up to our own rules. We, can't, like, we struggle with that. And, and, and so if God's only a righteous ruler, either there's this hypocritical fake pride or there's this despair going, I can't do that. When he's only a righteous ruler, it seems to lead to that stuff. And here's, here's a reality. As I was thinking about this, I, I feel like and I believe that as humans, with a broken human nature, as humans with a broken human nature, we can't survive a God who's only a righteous ruler. We can't. We can't live up to that. We can't survive the, the, the insecurity that comes with that. We can't survive it. We, we don't live up to that. And because of that, what sometimes happens is, yeah, when God is presented only as this righteous ruler, we know we can't survive that, then what sometimes happens is we kind of go all the way to the other side of the pendulum and we say, whoa, 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 whoa. he's just loving. He's just a wonderful shepherd who just wants me to be happy and just go with your heart, do whatever your heart says because I just want you to be happy. And then sometimes that's the side that's emphasized, his kindness, his love, his, his care, without his righteousness and truth. And when we're presenting God as that, without being one who rules, when you lose the ruler side of God, you only have this loving shepherd, then we begin to think, he just wants me to be happy. And when that happens, it kind of removes his godness, doesn't it? And you know who it puts on the throne? Me. When I remove the righteous ruler, where I move the God side, and it's all about his love for me and his care for me, and just I want you to be happy, just want you, and he's gonna do everything he can to fulfill my wants and dreams and my hopes and my desires. When that's the case, when I live my life like that, I'm actually on the throne, and I've relegated God to being the super powerful servant that's there for me, that's there to make me happy, that's there to make, give me what I want. And I, that doesn't sound very much like a God to me. And you know what, if I'm honest with myself, if my life was really based on my wants and desires, that really doesn't actually lead anywhere very good. Because usually, my wants and my desires, when I get them and when it's all about that, I become very self-centered. And they change all the time. And sometimes I want something that I realize later, that was really dumb, and if I'd gotten it, whew, that would have been bad. But when I'm in the middle, when I'm the center, what that does is it eventually hurts me. It sounds awesome, it feels awesome in the beginning, but eventually it hurts me and it hurts the relationships around me because it's all about me and I'm trying to use God to fulfill my needs and my desires. My wants and desires, the problem is that they are strongly affected by my broken human nature. All of them are tainted by my broken human nature. And if that's what is ruling me rather than a righteous, perfect, holy God who understands me, understands life, if my wants and desires tainted by my human nature are ruling me rather than a righteous God, a righteous ruler, then I've realized when I'm honest with myself that usually leads to places that are not as good as it sounds. You see, when we only see one side of God, 
We have a distorted picture of who Jesus is, who God is. We have a distorted picture of religion. One is so rules and holiness focused that it's devoid of love. And the other one is so me focused that it's devoid of his godness, of God in a way. And you know what's interesting? What's interesting is that I think if you live in that side, holiness and just ruler and righteous ruler, or just me focused, he's my shepherd and he's gonna give me everything I want. When you live in those, you, you, you eventually don't find, I think, something that we're all looking for. It, those things don't lead to peace and security. Something we all want. If you're only on one side, that doesn't lead to security. If you're on the other side, it doesn't lead to security. If God is only a righteous ruler, we will never find the security. We'll always be living with this insecurity of not knowing if I'm living up to the standard, of not knowing if I'm gonna break the rule, or if I live my life feeling like I'm gonna do fine, I'm gonna do fine, and then I've hit you know, my weakness and my mistake, then what? There's no security living with God as only a righteous ruler. But if he's only a loving shepherd and not a righteous ruler, we will be so focused on trying to get him to meet my needs and wants and desires that we forget he's actually God. And if he's just there to meet my needs and my wants, and he's not a wise, powerful, all-knowing God with the ability to rule and judge right and wrong, if he's not that, there is no security in that either. Because where will that lead? And that's why I think it's so awesome that Micah tells us the Messiah is both a righteous ruler and a loving, good shepherd. And in fact, if you continue reading and you see what he says happens when you understand and when you know that he's a righteous ruler and a good, loving shepherd, when you see those both, something happens. We find something. Let me read it again. Micah 5 verse 2 says this. He will be one who will be ruler over Israel. Verse 4, he will stand and shepherd his flock, ruler and shepherd, in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And then verse, the end of verse 4 tells us what happens when he's a ruler and a shepherd. It says, and they will live securely. Whew, that's amazing. If he is both ruler and shepherd, they will live Securely. If he's just ruler, there's no security in that because I don't live up to that. I fall short. If he's just shepherd there for me and meet my needs, that doesn't get me to, to, to what's true, what's right, what works. But if he's a ruler who calls us to this holiness, who calls us to that and understands we can't live up to it, and he's a shepherd who comes and says, I got you. I will help you. I will forgive you. I'll give you grace and help to actually do that. If he's a ruler and a shepherd, they will live securely. I love that detail because I think Micah is saying that when we see him that way, God, the Messiah, Jesus, as a ruler and a shepherd, not just one or the other, we will find security in life and in eternity that goes really, really deep. When we see him as a ruler and a shepherd, as the one above it all, the one who sees and knows, the one who's perfect, and the one who calls us to more. When we see him as one who, who his rule is wise and true. In other words, when we see him as God above it all, knowing it all wiser than we are, and he's kind and loving and cares about us personally, and he knows our weaknesses and our struggles, and he pursues us, he pursues you. That's what a shepherd does. 
and he knows that we sometimes don't understand. And he knows that we sometimes can't follow properly. And he knows that sometimes we've broken the rules, all of us. As a righteous ruler, what happens when you break the rules is you're condemned. As a shepherd, when you break the rules, the shepherd pursues you. As both, he creates this beautiful security. He knows as a good shepherd, he understands that we're like sheep and we have a tendency to go astray and yet he still leads and guides and pursues and holds and helps and feeds and loves and cares for. That's what a shepherd does. And when we see him as super strong and super loving, (laughs) that brings security. It's beautiful. Best illustration I can give of this outside of my own life because this is what I've experienced. When I've seen him only as holy and righteous, there's this insecurity. When I see him as only there for me, there's this insecurity. But when he's both, oh my gosh, it's beautiful. But the best illustration from real life that I can give is parenting. If you think about parenting, if you're a parent, you've probably seen this in your own kids. If you're not a parent, you've probably seen this in other people's kids because you're like, why are those kids like that? (laughs) We never do that, do we? Um, But when you see kids, isn't it true that the most secure kids have parents who are both super strong and super loving? Kids who have parents that are just totally all about loving them. I just want them to be happy. That's the attitude of parenting. So if they want it, I give it to them. (laughs) Don't do that, I'll turn this car around and the car never turns around. (laughs) If you do that again, you so help me. And they do it again, and nothing helped me, or them. And we kind of just keep going, and it's just, I just, if I give them more, they don't cry. If I give them more, just what they want, they're happy for a moment. Because what happens? Those kids grow up, those kids become so entitled and so difficult and so hard, and it's like, oh my gosh, they're not secure because they need and they want, and it's all about their needs and wants. And I'm telling you, if you make a list of what a toddler's needs and wants are, (laughs) or of what a teenager's needs and wants are, the reality is not only is it probably bad for them, it's probably dangerous for them. And not only immediately, but for their future, for who they become, their marriages, their relationships, their leadership, all that stuff. If you just give whatever you want. So in parenting, that does not create secure kids, right? We know that. We know that. On the other side, though, if we're only strict and the language is be better, do more, obey, you be- what's wrong with you? Keep the rules, keep the rules, do better, do better, be like me. If that's the only understanding that's always preached, what happens to those kids? There's an insecurity of not knowing, am I okay? Do I belong? Do you love me? There's this broken reality of a parent that's always doing that. We know that. And then sometimes those kids do live up to it, and they seem like they're doing everything right, and then one day they bump into their broken human nature. And then everything comes crumbling down. You see, just all love, 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 love. And you know what I mean by love. Real love is all of this. But you know what I mean? Just kind of whatever, whatever. Doesn't lead to security. Just super strict and strong and rules doesn't lead to security. But it's the parents who are super strong and have guidance and rules and boundaries and wisdom and right and wrong and who love and give grace, and understand that the kids will never live up to perfection because I don't, as your parent, 
and I need grace and mercy, and I'm flawed as a human, but I give grace and help and forgiveness and love and care, and I'm there for you, and when you mess up, I hug you, and I love you, and then we stand up and we keep walking. Those kids are the most secure kids. I think it's the same for us as well. If we just want a loving God with no guidance and no strength and no wise rule that's wiser than our own rule, we don't find security and peace. Because then our broken human nature, you know, just rules. When, when he's just that loving God with no rules, then, then eventually our broken human nature rules and that always leads to bad things. And if God is only a God of rules, we either end up with this arrogant hypocritical pride because I live up to his rules, I pretend at least, or we live in this despair and failure, but security comes from a strong ruler and a loving shepherd being who he is, and that's why I love. I'll read it again, Micah chapter five, verse two. The Messiah will be one who will be ruler over Israel, and he will stand and shepherd his flock with the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and as a result of him being a ruler and a shepherd, they will live securely. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's amazing. It's so powerful. So I want to show you how Jesus took all of that and sort of claimed it to be who he was and who, how he would be. But before I do that, I want to read one of the most famous Psalms that describes this reality so beautifully. Psalm 23, it says this. The Lord is my shepherd. There it is, right there. A synonym for Lord, ruler. The Lord is my shepherd, and I lack nothing. I live securely. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Talk about security. In the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you, why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I don't know, but the rod sounds like a ruling tool. The staff sounds like a shepherding tool. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Enemies are still gonna be there. Life is still life. It's still broken. But you prepare a table before me. Talk about security in the midst of a broken world. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love that security in this life. Goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and security in the next. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a beautiful picture of the Lord, a ruler being a shepherd, my loving shepherd and the security I find when that's who he is. Jesus claimed the reality of Psalm 23 for himself and what Micah said as well in John chapter 10 when he talks about himself being a shepherd. This is what he says, John 10 verse 11. I am the good shepherd. I am, that's me. I am the good shepherd. And then he says what a good shepherd does. A good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And that's what he did. And he spoke about this for a while. We'll jump back in in verse 27. He's still talking about this. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. 
I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Talk about eternal security because he's God, he's ruler and he's shepherd. I give them eternal life. They'll never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. Then he says, I and my father are one. Look at the beautiful security that comes from him being a ruler over all. I and my father are one and the good shepherd. He's a shepherd who loves us so much that even though we don't meet the standards of a holy God, we don't live up to all the rules. None of us have and none of us can in and of ourselves. He loves us so much that he laid down his life on our behalf to pay the price for all those broken rules. He laid down his life so that he, as our good shepherd, could hold us, save us, redeem us, and hold us securely so that nothing can take us out of his hands. It's an incredible picture. Micah wrote about it 700 years before, and Jesus claims that about himself. This amazing, eternal security that comes from him being a ruler and shepherd, this amazing wisdom and life that provides security in this life now from him being ruler and shepherd. And that's why Micah describes the Messiah not just as a ruler, not just as a shepherd, but a ruler who will shepherd his people. It's incredible. I wanna read one more scripture that seems to summarize all of these parts and brings it together in a very concise, beautiful way. And it was written by John, another one of Jesus' disciples. And after John watched Jesus and met him and saw all that he did, the only way that he could describe him was this, John 1 verse 14, he says, and the word became flesh. In the the verses preceding this, John makes it clear that the word is God. The word God became flesh, he became a man and made his dwelling among us. And we, John and his friends, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father from of old, preexisted, he's God, he came from the father, And he is full of grace and truth. I feel like that grace lines up so beautifully with a picture of a shepherd. And truth lines up so beautifully with a picture of a ruler, a righteous ruler. And what John says here is that he will be the shepherd who rules, this ruler who shepherds. That he is full of grace and truth. That's who this Messiah is, that's who Jesus is. And when that's true, if that's true, the security both eternally and in our life now can be so different if we trust the shepherd and surrender to the ruler. If we trust him as a shepherd and surrender to him as a ruler. I mean, if that's true, if he is this ruler, if he is the shepherd, if that's who he is, if that's what he does, if that's how he relates to us, wouldn't surrendering to him bring security? If he really is from of old God, if he's this righteous ruler who knows all and he's a shepherd who pursues and helps and gives grace and forgiveness, if that's true, wouldn't surrendering to him bring that kind of security? If he really is God who knows it and who pursues, wouldn't that bring security and peace in our lives? And that's his invitation to us. 
That's what he says this Christmas. As the Messiah has come, his invitation to us is this. Would you trust me as your shepherd? And would you surrender to me as your ruler? Because I am both. And there is deep, beautiful, eternal, and present security that comes from that. In a minute, I'm gonna pray, and then the band's gonna come out and sing a song called Good Shepherd. And here's what I'd love for us to do as the song is played as we, as we listen. To ask ourselves, how do I see Jesus? Do I see him as a ruler, a righteous ruler, but only as that? Do I see him as a, a beautiful, good, loving shepherd, or only as that? Or do I see him full of grace and truth, a ruler who shepherds? Because if we see him that way, the security and the life that comes from him is incredible. So I'd love for us to ask where we see him and I'm telling you, if we can trust him as shepherd and surrender to him as ruler, it changes everything. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. I'm so grateful that we can read words that were written 700 years before Jesus that describe this Messiah that's coming as an ancient, pre-existing, eternal being that describes him not just as a righteous ruler who calls us to live in righteousness, but as a shepherd as well, who loves and understands us and provides hope and help and care and guidance and forgiveness for us. And Father, thank you that you invite us to know Jesus as a ruler who shepherds, as one who's full of grace and truth. And Father, thank you that as we discover him and deepen our relationship with him in that way, it leads to a depth of security because of who you are. We're so grateful. So Father, my prayer is for me, for my family, for us to grow deep in our understanding of Jesus this Christmas as a ruler and good shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen. Cause your steps have tasted strength in 
Yeah. 